After 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Oh 
Words from Parshas Noach as we get set to read Parshat Noach tomorrow. Good morning. Welcome to JM in the AM. Before that, Micha Gamerman, brand new with Rabim. You heard um, uh, Schlockrock with Menucha Vesimcha. You heard Menucha. You heard, yeah, you heard Menucha with Kadosh. You heard God Elba's uh, live version of Mizmar David. You heard Mordechai Ben David with the Baruch Kel Elyon. And um, you heard Regesh, of course, Modani opening things up, and we say good morning. Welcome to a Friday on this November the 1st. Tomorrow is Balfour Day. Shabbos lunch tomorrow. Make sure to mention to your children that uh, it's Balfour Day. Ask them if they know what it is. It's actually a good uh, 
a good Shabbos table discussion for those who care about Israel. Why is a Balfour Day, November the 2nd, well, what is it in the, to begin with, and why is it an important day in uh, modern Jewish history? In fact, if you really want to uh, analyze it, you can compare it in some ways to some of the great events of not-so-modern Jewish history. Yeah, if you really think it through and present it the right way. Anyway, um, keep that in mind for tomorrow on on, on uh, the 2nd of November, uh, which is coming up. A lot of our listeners in the New York City Marathon on Sunday. We wish them the best of luck at uh, 8.40 Eastern Time. We'll speak with Peter Burkowski, who will give us an update regarding the Minion at the New York City Marathon. That's something that's been going on for a very, very long time. So we will do that coming up. Uh, Sunday night is the JCT dinner. We expect to see everybody at the Jerusalem College of Technology uh, dinner on this Sunday night. Mazal tov to all the honorees. It is going to be a very special evening. It is a, it is one of those institutions that are so key to what goes on in Israel today and especially in the most vital areas of Israel's existence today, including the army and technology and intelligence. It is unbelievable the effect that JCT, uh, both among its current students and recent graduates and among those from many years ago, It is amazing the effect that they have on those areas of Jewish life and Israeli life in the state of Israel and beyond. I mean, you know, if we are believers that that people who work for Israeli intelligence and the Israeli army and its armed forces are really protecting Jews around the world, then uh, JCT gets global credit not just credit in Israel. Friday morning on this November 1st, the 3rd of Marcheshvan, as we said, it's Erev Shabbos Parshas Noach. What time is candle lighting in New York? 5.32. And let's not forget to change the clock tomorrow night. Sunday will become a standard time, which means we will be back late tomorrow night to a um, seven-hour time difference with the state of Israel. And uh, on Sunday, a lot of people will be shocked when they realize how Early, the sun is going down. Some people like it. Some people like when uh, it's an early sunset and the uh, the dark part of the day, so to speak, <laughs> begins to dominate. Other people uh, get somewhat depressed <laughs> that at approximately a four thirty, four forty, it starts to get dark. But whatever it is. Uh, this is the reality. We change the clock uh, Sunday morning. 2 a.m. becomes 1 a.m. It'll be a seven-hour difference again between the New York area and the state of Israel. Keep that in mind. Monday is the start of Bahab. Tuesday is Election Day, and some areas of this country do have important elections going on. So keep that in mind. And here we are on a Friday at JM and the AM. Got very windy and cold out with 48 degrees, 57% humidity. Winds are west at 16 miles an hour. Sunny today with a high of 56. Then tonight, clear and a low 41. Wow. Tomorrow, mostly sunny. A high Shabbos, just 55 degrees. We're at 70 in Jerusalem. We're at 48 here in New York City as we say good morning at the JM in the AM. And uh, I thank you all for tuning in. Here on a Friday. Uh, One hour from now, Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. One hour from now, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time, Malcolm Honline will join us 
go through the weekly update. Lots of news this week. That's an understatement. And we'll discuss as much as possible in our weekly update segment. Rabbi Yudin, of course, with Parsha's Noach coming up. We said that uh, we will speak with Peter Burkowski about the New York City Marathon Minion. That's coming up toward the end of the 8 o'clock hour. Uh, if you haven't gotten your tickets yet for Sunday night for the Jerusalem College of Technology dinner at Lincoln Square Synagogue, go to the website at jctgala.org, jctgala.org, excuse me, it's .com, jctgala.com, jctgala.com, and join us at Lincoln Square Synagogue, 6 o'clock this coming Sunday night. You will be inspired. You'll also have a chance to meet John Medved, who is the founder and CEO of Our Crowd. He is a serial entrepreneur. He is based in Jerusalem, and he's a pretty amazing speaker. That's all happening on Sunday night, jctgala.com. More coming up. It's JM in the AM.
In the AM, Friday morning, and it's November the 1st, 3rd of Mar Cheshvan. As I keep reminding you, tomorrow is November 2nd, Balfour Day. Make sure at the Shabbos table to mention to your children and grandchildren the importance of Balfour Day in modern Jewish history. Uri Davidi with Oneg Shabbos, Locha Hashem, done by Simcha Liner, brand new. Avremel with Shalom Aleichem, Vishamru, that was Yerachmiel. Friday morning on this uh, Erev Shabbos Parsha's Noach with candle lighting at 5.32. A reminder, Rav Chaim Kanievsky on Chumash Bracious is now available from Art Scroll. Rav Chaim Kanievsky on Chumash Bracious is now available from Art Scroll. Use the promo code radio at artscroll.com. Use the promo code radio, get 15% off and free shipping in the United States. Rav Chaim Kanievsky, Chumash Bracious, available now from Artsgirl. Go to artsgirl.com, use promo code RADIO, 15% off, free shipping in the U-S-A. Monday starts Bahab, candle lighting in New York today, 532. We will change the clock. We're going to go back to a standard time late tomorrow night which means that uh, there'll be, again, a seven-hour difference between us here in New York and the uh, state of Israel. Tuesday is Election Day. Make sure you know what's happening in your area of the country and uh, make sure to get out there and vote. Only way to make a difference of any type. Even if you think it makes no difference, which it probably doesn't, (laughs) but the only way to make a difference is to go and vote. 48 degrees, sunny, and a high of 56. Pretty chilly out there compared to the way it's been, that's for sure. Um, as we say, uh, good morning on this uh, Erev Shabbos Friday morning broadcast. Yesterday, I had the uh, prev- uh, the, the pleasure of uh, speaking with Sivan Rachav Meir, who is now in the United States with her husband uh, Yedidya and their family as Shlichim by a uh, World Mizrahi. And um, she, of course, is a uh, a journalist. In fact, with the time difference now, because it's six-hour difference, she and her husband are actually on the air in Israel right now opposite us. Usually they're on between 5 and 6 a.m. Eastern time on Friday. So we so we get to hear it before we start JM in the a.m. But today they're on against us, literally. Woo! Promoting the competition. Anyway, um, if you missed any of the interview, I think you'll find it fascinating. You can go to uh, our archives, of course, both on the app, both on the app and at NahumSiegel.com. And you can check out uh, my conversation with her. Uh, we are hoping to have a fuller-length conversation sometime between now and Hanukkah uh, when her uh, n- uh, newest book will be released. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web, and AlchemSiegel.com, and the AlchemSiegel Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. 
It's actually Galait Sal in the background toward the end of their show. I'm trying to figure out what song this is. Hmm. News from Israel coming up. Reminder, Malcolm Honline, 40 minutes from now. He's Executive Vice Chairman, Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He'll join us coming up at 7.40 Eastern Time for the weekly update. Rabbi Yudin with Parshas Noach at 8.15 this morning. And we will check in with Peter Burkowski. First Sunday in November means New York City Marathon. And New York City Marathon means there'll be a Marathon Minion or more than one Minion this coming Sunday morning at Fort Wadsworth area uh, on Staten Island. That's where the race begins. And we'll have that information for you coming up with Peter here at uh, JM in the AM. And not quite sure what just happened in terms of our... Connection. With Galetzal, but uh, it does seem like we have a situation which we will now deal with. More coming up, hour number two, Friday morning, JM in the AM.
Friday morning, I think we're back on track, right? Yeah, we had a little bit of a break there. Um, not quite sure what happened, frankly. Uh, but it looks like we are, uh, we're back. It's been one of those weeks where uh, it seems there's some kinks that need to be eliminated from our system here at the Nahum Siegel Network. But uh, hopefully, as I said, we're back on track. It's Friday on this 1st of November, the 3rd of Marcheshvan, the Tarev Shabbos Parshas Noach, and Candlelighting in New York is 5.32. Next week's going to be really early. Next week's going to be one of those short Shabbatot we always talk about. What will candlelighting be next week? Like 4.20? Does that make sense? Yeah. About that. Uh, 48 degrees, sunshine, and a high temperature of 56. Malcolm Holmline, a half hour from now with the weekly update. He's executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. We will speak with him coming up at 7.40 Eastern Time. Or by Yudin, of course, with Parshas Noach. Coming up in hour number three and plenty more. Here's Rogers Park at JM in the AM. The blessing, say how do you do to the lovely world Time around you and the one who created you? These blessings they surround us in everything we do, from the sunrise to the moonlight, they'll be right in front of you. Give a blessing when you can, learn to bless each other. When something don't feel right, give strength to one another. Give a blessing when you can, learn to bless each other. Something don't feel right Give strength to one another Every day I sing your song There are times to try and prove you wrong And I know that I just need to try some love So snap a picture Self yourself Learn to frame your situation If you're thinking of it all You're missing out some of that information Oh, give a blessing when you can Learn to bless each other When something don't feel right Give strength to one another Give a blessing when you can Learn to bless each other When something don't feel right Give strength to one another Someone who's always on your mind Someone that always falls behind Someone you know just feeling low Give them a blessing Make them feel right Cause you have a soul And they have a soul And you got the power 
just give it all and give them a breath and make them feel right. And you have the power to bring down their
J.M. in the A.M. with Mordechai Shapiro and Mode off of uh, his latest here on a Friday morning Erev Shabbos. Uh, before that, you heard Shmuel Younger's Machabracha Blessings done by Rogers Park and Vizakenu. That was Shlomo Katz opening up that set here at J.M. in the A.M. Well, finally, the suspense is over. Uh, listener Daniel down in Atlanta had promised us the... Um, the details regarding the Parshas Noach AJA carpool number 255 Hashkama Minion Kiddish of the Year. This is the lineup for tomorrow's Parshas Noach Hashkama Minion Kiddish of the Year is presented by listener Daniel and our friends at AJA carpool number 255 down in Atlanta. Here we go. You ready? First item at the uh, Parshas Noach Kiddish, animal crackers. <laughs> And by the way, if you really think about it for a minute, you can guess all of these. <laughs> Second item, rainbow cake. Third item, and this one is the one I, I would not have thought of. Third item, Dove brand chocolates. And of course, the key item, and I'm sure everybody around the world is saying this at once as I say it, mobble cake. Uh, also, the kids, according to uh, Daniel, will be building a water migdal bavel. And uh, for the uh, adults, they'll have a uh, bottle of rum. Get it? Of rum? <sighs> anyway, there you go. Uh, Friday morning broadcast, JM and the AM, no matter how you're commemorating Parshas Noah. I hope it's as fun as the AJA carpool number 255, Kiddish. Hope it's, it's, it's as much fun as that's going to be. Friday morning with Kendall Lighting at 532 in New York. Malcolm Holmline's coming up. We'll do the weekly update. He's executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of major American Jewish organizations. All that's happening if you keep it here at JM in the AM.
I think some of the people like the uh, the Hashkama Minion Kiddush of the Year down in Atlanta for Parshas Noah. <laughs> the Animal Crackers, the Rainbow Cake, the Mobble Cake, I think all those are obvious, but the uh, the Dove Brand Chocolates, that's a good one. That's that's one that we could add to the list. Candle lighting at 532, that was Yehuda with uh, Aishas Heil here at JM in the AM. Aish done by Yaakov Shweki. Mordechai Shapiro before that. Five minutes away from our weekly update, Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, is going to join us. Uh, we'll do the weekly update here at JM in the AM and to go through the news of the week. Rabbi Yudin, of course, at 8.15 with Parshas Noach, and we will uh, get to the um, uh, discussion regarding the Minion at the New York City Marathon that's going to be happening this coming Sunday. Uh, just before the big race, and we'll have that for you coming up at about 8.40 Eastern Time here at JMAM. Don't forget, tomorrow is November 2nd. Tomorrow is Balfour Day. Make sure to mention to your children and grandchildren at the Shabbos table tomorrow that it is Balfour Day and why that is a significant day in modern Jewish history. More coming up. Uri Davidi at JM in the AM. Kolyomitvalelim <laughs>
JM in the AM Friday morning. That's Diaspora, of course, with that classic. Um, candle lighting at 532 here in New York. Don't forget we changed the clock tomorrow night. It'll be a seven-hour difference again between the Eastern Time Zone and Israel once we change the clock tomorrow night, Sunday morning, to Standard Time. And uh, Tuesday is Election Day. And I know there are not a lot of important, quote-unquote, elections going on. We, we get that. But I, I don't know how else uh, one can be influential in this country unless you exercise the right to vote and show that, that uh, our communities are ready to go out there and vote and that we care who, in fact, are in leadership positions in, uh, in every, at every level of government, big to small, small to big. Uh, a lot of people, um, a lot of people in government did a lot of things that we we did not like this week. A lot of people did a lot of things we don't like. Uh, but um, many of them have to start feeling that they're vulnerable. Otherwise, they're really not going to care about uh, what they do or what the reaction is. That's the reality. Um, reminder that uh, that uh, Sunday night is the JCT, uh, Jerusalem College of Technology, dinner happening in Lincoln Square Synagogue in New York City. I encourage everybody to come out and join us. It's jctgala.com, jctgala.com. Our friends at jewishworldreview.com have thousands, no exaggeration, thousands of articles you can print out before Shabbos to um, uh, to read over the weekend about Israel and the Jewish world. Check them out today, jewishworldreview.com. And don't forget, tomorrow is November 2nd, Balfour Day. Use the opportunity tomorrow at the Shabbos table to ask your children and grandchildren what is Balfour Day and why is it so important? Why is it so significant in modern <coughs> Jewish history? <coughs> Malcolm Holmline is executive. Excuse me. Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us. Friday mornings, Erev Shabbos for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you so much, Erev Shalema. <laughs> but uh, this, as they said, it's good to be home. See, I got this. I got this in a situation that you could not possibly have gotten it. Because I got this Friday night, two weeks ago uh, tonight, in the sukkah. And where you were in the sukkah two weeks ago tonight, it was not 35 degrees and very cold. No, it was 70 degrees and beautiful. And another argument about why uh, <laughs> Israel is a good alternative, not only in the Chagim, but all the time. You know, I went for Pesach one year. It was like 30 degrees. And here in New York, it was like 55. I'll tell you, <laughs> my, my luck. What can I tell you? So it's one of the few things we can do. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. I get it. It's not a big election year. But a lot of people are so dissatisfied with individuals at, at every level of government who who misrepresent so many things out there, especially vis-a-vis Israel and our community. The only way to get them to be a little edgy and wary about their position is to uh, exhibit the fact that we are willing to go out there and vote. And again, I know this Tuesday there's not much going on, but it's a good opportunity to show that our community will do what other communities won't. Well, uh, first of all, I agree completely. And the indications that people get from this do impact even future elections. Uh, but more importantly, there are uh, vital issues on the back of the ballot, uh, a referenda that I think people should look at, five of them. And I've heard uh, Councilman Yeager and others talking about it and opposing all of those. They have 
an impact on quality of life issues, on, on important issues in terms of governance. So people should also look at the flip side of, of the ballot. It takes very short time to vote. There are also s- some local elections. It's not something I focus on, but it's the local elections that are uh, of importance uh, with people who have, may have associations that we don't like or positions we don't like. Right. Uh, that really it's important both to send a message, but also in terms of the outcome of the election. A few votes can make a big difference. The fact that it's not a big year means that every vote... Right. Is magnified, and if you uh, if you believe that at every level of government, at the minimum, symbolically and obviously in many ways, practically, uh, there 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 can be uh, votes and resolutions and uh, uh, items in government that that do affect uh, Israel or the attitude toward Israel. BDS legislation, obviously, being a prime example of that. Then then go out and put the right people in office. Simple as that. Anyway, Tuesday's election day. Get out there and vote. Speaking of uh, representatives, and I know that this is sometimes a difficult conversation for you. There are a lot of people that normally I would mention that you have to work with in Washington, both in the Jewish world and in the world of government. We get that. Um, so if you if you don't if you're not comfortable, you know, speaking about specific names, that's fine. But you know, the J Street Conference takes place this week, and I understand why this organization was founded. I know they've completely hijacked my opinion. They've completely hijacked the peace agenda. I mean, why anybody would suggest? That somebody who's you know against negotiating with with enemies that have no common ground with us, why that would why we would be anti peace? I'll never figure that out. Trust me, every single person that I know uh, that's on that side of the issue is still a quote unquote peacenik, still wants you know to live in peace in the Middle East. Frankly, um, uh, but we but, but we see what's happened there, and now not only is it, has peace become uh, you know the the uh, the mantra. But now military aid to Israel has become a major subject. And there are members of government, current members of the United States government, some of them running on the Democratic side um, for president of the United States, who are ready to completely, and now we've seen their statements, now we've heard the speeches, who are ready to completely tie Israel's attitude or actions vis-a-vis its neighbors to military aid from the U.S. to Israel. Your reaction to this, please. Well, first of all, I do think it's important to name names. This is not about uh, J Street, uh, which I do not believe is pro-peace or pro-Israel, because they oppose so much of the legislation and important issues and support candidates whose actions betray that goal. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the peace agenda is right now dead, and especially because they have an administration that they don't uh, particularly support or aren't close to, that they uh, now we see this new theme being picked up, and it's very dangerous. And the fact that Sanders and Buttigieg and um, uh, Warren uh, talk about linking the aid to Israel to to political issues or to the peace process. First of all, it's a complete distortion right. of the reality. The, the reason you don't have peace is because the Palestinians aren't even willing to sit down and discuss the potential peace process. They are the ones who are throwing obstacles in terms of aid to their own people. Um, there's a new hospital in Gaza that the Palestinians are blocking. They don't let people even go for medical treatment for what Gaza and the and the West Bank to Israel. They that the, the 166,000 Palestinians go every day to work in Israel, and the um, uh, you know the um, distortion that's represented in, in all of this, and it, they get two and a half times the average salary that people in the PA get. 
that the obstacle to peace is, is not Israel, and it's not the community. It's an unwillingness to recognize the right of Israel to exist. And now they turn around, and they start saying about the aid package. First of all, this is only military aid, and it's a deal that President Obama, a Democratic president, uh, signed, arranged, uh, made this 10-year deal that gives Israel $3.8 billion a year for military aid. But almost none of it now gets spent in Israel. All of it is spent here in the United States. The jobs program in the United States, tens of thousands of jobs are provided. And this is an investment in, Israel, in America's defense. It's America's national interest to do this, to have a stable ally. When you see all the other countries now being having demonstrations, the instability, the the way that they can switch sides, that the uh, having the stable ally and, and one where the weapons are tested, the information, the intelligence that they get from Israel, look at the missile defense systems that they jointly uh, developed, so that these statements are, are just not uh, in in concert with reality, and the the goals and and uh, supporting peace is something everybody wants, and every prime minister of Israel has talked about it. But the the way to achieve this this sends exactly the wrong message. This will encourage the enemies of Israel. This will undermine the, the U.S.'s stance in the Middle East further, and the the um, and and. and disincentivizes the Palestinians from ever coming to, to a real peace talks because they see that they gain by, by stonewalling and let Israel take the hit for it. So this is a very disturbing uh, development. It's, uh, this is not an issue. You don't use the military aid to, as a political tool. And you know, you know, you, you, I, you I know, think the American people, by the way, will reject that. You know, you, I hope. You know, you mentioned last week, and you've said it many times, uh, that you worry about the Democratic Party agenda, especially, you know, in, in light of what we saw last time around in terms of the platform, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I, I wonder, uh, with the, with the uh, active involvement that the Jewish community, obviously the, you know, the complete, total Jewish community has had, and continues to have in the Democratic Party. I wonder if it is the if it is our attitude, um, meaning the Jewish community's attitude toward what's happening in the Middle East that is transforming the Democratic Party. You know, we we often, and I think again, you alluded to this last week. We often, you know, watch, we see, we observe as Democratic candidates and influential Democratic leaders. You know, move the agenda a little bit, or move the um, what's the word? The you know the democratic the platform, right? Move the platform a little bit compared to the way it used to be. But I'm wondering now if they're watching an American Jewish community that's cooperating with them and that's helping them move it in that direction. First of all, I do not believe it's overwhelming. Was rejected. Uh, we had a call yesterday with uh, our executive council. Everybody supported our taking a strong stand on this issue. The uh, and second, I think most Democrats reject this. I think it's unfair to to label all the Democrats with this when when it was three people, three of the candidates, significant as it is. And because once you start this kind of discussion, you throw it out there, even if if it, it's not implemented now, it then becomes part of the agenda uh, over time and gradually and gradually increases. Again, I said I think the American people, I think the Democratic Party will reject. Um, this and especially as it's explained to them, you know, in, in Britain, uh, Jews voted for the Labour Party in overwhelming numbers. Now, the latest poll shows that more than 70 percent or close to 80 percent said that they would vote for Johnson with Brexit, which they largely rejected, um, 
uh, over Corbyn. And I think that the, you know, it's not a question of just how the Jews vote. It's, it's a question of, of the wisdom of this, of the undermining of U.S. Uh, interests and of our allies, of the message it sends, the perceptions uh, that, that it creates. And we should not, uh, again, uh, exaggerate its, its significance. We should understand how these kinds of things become, how they metastasize when you put a message like that out and then it spreads and the Internet takes it and it becomes more commonplace to say it, something that people would not have articulated so how do, uh, a couple so how, years ago. So how does Pelosi and Schumer differ from the other speakers at the or their colleagues who are presidential candidates? Just well, because, they, didn't, they didn't support any Right. In other, in other words, they have a right to speak at J Street, which I get, and you know, I'm not I'm not arguing with that, but but their statements did not come close to the statements of the of the three presidential candidates who who spoke the way you described. Right. And uh, I mean one can argue whether they should be there or not. That's you know, a decision um, that can be questioned, but the because of the positions that they've taken, but the the there's no comparison between what they said and what um, uh, these three said. And there's no way, excuse the comparison, there's no way APAC leadership in the last few years is heading in that direction. In Absolutely other- not. I think quite the opposite. I mean, this is another one of the libels, and we, we do so much self-destruction with these false uh, accusations and reports, and, and APAC has lobbied for this. APAC is, is supporting it. They, they do things to help expand in terms of advancing the cooperation between the United States and, uh, and Israel in new areas. Israel is developing new air defense systems to counter the um, uh, capacity that was demonstrated in the attack on Saudi Arabia, where they were able to fly around, to fly low, fly cruise missiles into literally every single target hit, uh, and which means that their guidance systems are, are much improved. I just saw that uh, yesterday they announced, the Iranians announced that they're giving uh, handheld drones to their soldiers, operational forces, which can engage in electronic warfare and reconnaissance and other things. I mean, they're advancing all the time their their uh, capacity. And uh, APAC and almost all the Jewish organizations are on the same page when it comes to defense and security of Israel. You could differ on political issues, and these right. candidates could have been critical. So, so I mean, I'll wrap it up with this. So, so. Uh, um uh, uh, on the APEC side of things in Washington, if there is a legitimate peace partner, everybody, including them, would be willing to sit down at the table. It has not been proven yet that we're even close to having a legitimate peace partner. Quite the opposite. They reject even meeting, and it's not we who meet, it's the administration. We right. have to be there to try and make sure that Israel is not forced to do things that it doesn't want to do, that that go against its security uh, interests and its uh, all the interests that, that it needs to advance to assure its security long-term and stability long-term. We see the instability in every single country around it. And yet you see that with no government or with a government in flux and two elections down, maybe another to come, that this democracy is strong and vital and a reliable ally for the United States. And more importantly, and more increasingly, um, an ally for many of the countries in the region who look to Israel and and uh, in ways that was not true a few years ago. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program, heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio, around the world on the web, and com, on the Nachum Siegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. All right, so we, uh, we who remember it certainly can uh, talk about the significance symbolically, and I assume practically as well, 
uh, when Osama bin Laden was taken out during the Obama administration. Tell us about the significance of this week's event, al-Baghdadi being taken out. Well, it is very significant, and I think the president, our troops, everybody deserves a lot of credit. There's a lot of intelligence. I'm sure this took many weeks to do, to plan. Uh, They've been following him, but he was very elusive. And uh, when you cut the snake's head, it has an impact. You can go another head, and you can get a new leader, but it isn't the same. He he had a symbolic significance that is erased. He um, it, it certainly had to shake them up to show America's capability to get the leadership, and that's why I think the targeted hits against leaders of terrorist organizations are important and do do uh, affect them. It doesn't mean that they go out of business because of it. ISIS can be dispersed. Remember, it, it doesn't need big infrastructure. They don't have to have skyscrapers of offices. They operate with very minimal infrastructure, uh, which is the nature of terrorists, uh, terrorist organizations. Some become more uh, established, like Hezbollah, which now becomes the target of demonstrations in in Lebanon, as well as in Iraq and elsewhere. So the the taking out of Baghdadi, I think, was a very important symbolic and practical measure. Does al-Qaeda and, uh, get along with ISIS? Do they work together? They do not get along, but when necessary, they, all these terrorist organizations, Sunni Shiite, everything, cross borders or boundaries to, to work together. But they're not the same. And we, we're under the, I mean, you know, as an average person, you know, watching the news, uh, I, I always thought that uh, once bin Laden was eliminated, uh, the organized effort of al-Qaeda, you know, globally suffered tremendously. Did they rebuild and get to this point where Baghdadi, al-Baghdadi was leading a, a, a more potent organization, or was it just scattered and haphazard? Well, it was both, I think. Uh, first of all, it never, they never really wiped out ISIS. They still had a presence, and I discussed this on the show, warning about the fact that in Iraq and in Syria and elsewhere that they, they, they had um, pockets of support, and they had thousands of uh, their members, including in the Sinai, and then they started coming back in um, places in individual cities and stuff, which they essentially controlled. And the um, their, the numbers of of people that are estimated to be a part of ISIS today ranges in the twenty thirty thousand range. So the and and you know a small number can do a lot of damage. They. Uh, attract young people with their, uh, you know, appeals uh, to martyrdom and to everything else that they uh, try to sell. And so the, the uh, ISIS was never just eliminated. It was diminished. They didn't have the caliphate, the state, because we took over a lot of the territory, but they remained with pockets of support. And now today we see them in Syria, in Iraq, and other places where they're still, they still have a presence. And can't do what they did before, but they can still do harm. And they're and and they are or are not uh, subject to whatever Iran uh, decides to do. Like, are, are, is there a government like Iran or others who are controlling them, or they're completely independent? No, they're the opposite. Iran is not in favor of uh, ISIS. Um, no, they're not controlled by uh, by a government. So, when, for instance, when Iran sends instructions for Hezbollah to behave a certain way on the northern border of Israel or exhibits their influence in Gaza and other areas, they don't have those type of tentacles when it comes to ISIS. Iran, Hezbollah, Hamas, all these groups are increasingly becoming wholly owned subsidiaries of Iran. The Iran militias are their creations. 
they all depend on them for assistance, for aid, uh, and they have less and less money to give them. So every time they can buy off a terrorist organization, they do it. Well, they, they are uh, very flexible, and you know they can switch sides. They can they can manipulate or utilize anybody. They use these local militias. They often dress them in Syrian dress in uniform near the Golan border. They uh, have their militia in Iraq, and a lot of the demonstrations were against those. Uh, militia, the Iranian presence, uh, uh, both Hezbollah, but also the the militias, the Shiite militia groups that they recruit from Afghanistan, from Pakistan, from many other countries outside the region, and they are operative in Syria. They are operative in Iraq. Uh, we see their presence in other places as well. So, uh, Iran will exploit every situation to advance its goal right. of hegemony in the region, and talk about their control in the four uh, four areas. Um, and the um, aggressiveness continues despite the fact that they are suffering the, the financial um, restrictions. They, they were very angry about Turkey's intervention, but they assert now that their continuing role of, of having been invited by Syria um, to continue to, to play a, a role in Syria itself, despite the fact that Russians don't, aren't comfortable with it either. Right. Uh, Lebanese Prime Minister resigned this week. Now, I always thought that, first of all, he had threatened to resign often. In, Every week. Right. <laughs> and I, I always thought that, that his life was, is, is, was in danger if, in fact, he would go through with resigning from the government. Well, his father was killed as, as, and was a leader in the government. I've met Hariri, and I had met his father also in the good days of relationships between Lebanon and Israel during the Jamiles and post Jamile. Uh, at least there were communications, the Year of the Good Fence, which your younger listeners don't know about but should read about. Uh, Lebanon and Israel had close relations, and I, I speak to, I meet with Lebanese officials and others. Um, they look to the time when that will be uh, true again. So the, the demonstrations are against the corruption, ostensibly, but also against Iran and against Hezbollah. They demonstrated outside the homes of members of the parliament who are the supporters of Hezbollah or come from Hezbollah parties. They, um, uh, the, the military aid that the United States gives them, about $100 million a year, is now being held up because of their, uh, they refuse to act against the precision uh, missile guidance system center, that, the factory that is inside uh, Lebanon, and that Israel has urged be closed and that the aid not be given because, number one, it's fungible. You know, if you give money to them, they say, well, we're giving it to the Lebanese army. But the Lebanese army today and Hezbollah and the government are virtually inseparable, though the army operates independently and we've continued to give them money. But the fact is that, that Hezbollah is the dominant force uh, with, with them. When Soleimani from Iran, who I've talked about many times and I think is the key guy, and I don't know why he hasn't met the fate of Baghdadi, uh, went to Baghdad. He he um, he said that the that we know how to deal with protests. Uh, it happened in Iran, and the media control and local agreements is now they blame it. By the way, including Khamenei on Israel and the United States that all these demonstrations are going on. The schools are closed in Lebanon. The banks have been closed. The the um, attacks are much broader than what people uh, know and talking about them stealing money. Who did he leave in charge of Lebanon? Is there an official government official, or it's just a military state now? So I think Haribu wants to come back, but he wants to have a change in the coalition and the structure of the government. Um, the, the, the situation in Lebanon is very 
uh, fluid to, to say the least. Um, and Hariri's uh, resignation, I think the prime minister could follow uh, both in Iraq and there. But why that, would Hezbollah care if he wants to leave and have a restructure of government? I, I don't understand. They need the cover. They don't. They they need the cover. When Lebanon gets aid, Lebanon, uh, if it's seen as a as a Hezbollah takes over the government, everything it becomes a terror supporting state. The whole state it, it is right. today in fact in effect, but that would change their status. So. Hezbollah wants the the cover, the beard that this is a civilian government and that's a democratic government and uh, all of the uh, things that come or be associated um, with that. And and you have to look at the whole situation. I mean, it's very hard to talk about these topics because there's so many details and complexities that are are um, that are related to it. You know, we didn't even mention Turkey's role in all of this. We didn't talk about what the Europeans are doing there. Um, and the uh, unrest that is is spreading in, in Iraq, which is related to the unrest in uh, in Lebanon. If you look, there are many similarities, even though they're obviously um, independent. We see the consulates of, of Iran being attacked in Basra. Um, some uh, Muqtada al-Sadr, Warning the Iranians and coming out against them. You know, if the if the uh, um, if the regularity and the size of the demonstrations that I see from the news sources that that you and the conference and and the like are putting out each week is accurate, it's outrageous that they're not on any national newscast. I mean, if in fact the number of people that that I see in the news sources that you promote are hitting the streets and are protesting against the government that are having somewhat an effect in multiple places. It's outrageous that nobody here knows about it. Well, dailyalert.org, which we produce every day, um, does cover these demonstrations, but your point is absolutely right. It is amazing to see the lack of coverage, the lack of interest. The uh, You know, the Germans invested two top two Syrian officials, important ones. Um, they're part of the General Intelligence Directorate, which is really a vicious uh, element. They were caught in Germany and being put on trial for war crimes. You see almost no mention, no coverage. The demonstrations where people are putting their lives on the line, almost no, um, almost no coverage, no mention that they're going on every day. As I said, I, I cited some of the things in Iraq exactly for that purpose, because they, it, it shows where the people are at, that there are opportunities, that the messages we send by what the United States does to show that the, these, uh, the people, that we will be with them, that we stand with them, and, uh, and, and the chance to undermine Iran's expansionist policies and its increasing dominance in the region is is very important, and the fact that they're resorting to blaming Israel and the United States for all of these uh, all these manifestations, it's a sign of the desperation, and the um, opportunity should not be lost now. You know, I just saw a story that the report the other day that Tehran is sinking eight inches a day a year, or six to eight inches a year, uh, because of the water depletion. Wow. They're suffering on every front. The whole internal structure. Is is under siege. They they, they um, need to look at all these circumstances, and the, and it's an opportunity for us to do more, to take advantage, to, to to put more pressure on them, and the people are demonstrating again that they are willing to stand up against them. It doesn't mean they're going to turn into democracies; they're not going to become pro Israel. But you won't have the same kind of regimes that you have now. Uh, the trouble that Israel's having with Jordan. Could you explain what that's about? 
well, they arrested two people at the border, two Jordanians, and the Jordanians recalled their ambassador because of it. That's usually a, a gesture uh, meant to satisfy public opinion right. inside Jordan. Uh, they come back again, you know, and it's not that far. They can make a phone call, and it's it's a you know forty five minute uh, trip to get to recall the ambassador, right. but. Um, Jordan is also in a difficult position. The king has to often do things in order to quell the, any kind of resistance or uh, demonstrations and give people an excuse to um, uh, to organize, as we've seen the demonstrations against the queen and her public apology, which was a very unusual move. They blame her because she's of Palestinian origin, of giving money, state resources, and land to Palestinians at the expense of the, uh, the Bedouin uh, and the um, you know, and it's a reflection of the multiple source tensions within um, uh, Jordan and the delicate balances. It seems that things that were quieted down. The arrest was because, uh, I mean, Israel doesn't just arrest people. It's because they have some real concerns and considerations about them. Does Jordan care that Iran looks over their shoulder? They care very much, and their fear is that, that Iran will use Turkey as a launching pad against them because this gives them access Iran, access to uh, another border, a fourth border with Israel, Golan, Lebanon, and Gaza, all in the hands of Iranian proxies, um, and um, or, but, or threatened by Iranian proxies. And but, all of, them, but all of whom would turn against Iran in a moment, at a moment's notice. Well, not all, because they're dependent on them for one thing, and because they have uh, presence in, in these places. Uh, the people certainly would, but the... Um, uh, for them, the access and the control of of the Shiite crescent, which I talked about now for probably ten years, mm-hmm. is the you know the control of from Iran through Iraq through Syria to Lebanon to the Mediterranean, and that's why their their foothold in Syria is so important. It gives them access to the Mediterranean, it enables them to threaten Israel, it, it, it expands their regional hegemonic goals. And they're driven by a radical ideology, which uh, and, and they're trying to expand globally in many other places. We won't go into now. So the the um, you know the uh, Iranian the people are increasingly unhappy because of the economic conditions and because they can't be bought off with uh, Iranian money because they don't have it right now. Uh, Israeli election. I know I ask you about this every week, and it looks like this stalemate is going nowhere at the moment. Is there anything that has developed over the last seven days that has changed anything? Well, the, um, there's more talk now about a unity government, but also talk about uh, moving to elections, something that would not be thought of. Um, uh, Lieberman said he came out against uh, a limited government, a minority government, uh, which undermines then that prospect. So I think the goal of everybody is to drive the two parties together in some formulation, uh, and that um, and Netanyahu could accept it maybe first year, and then two years they will blue and white, and then the fourth year he could, which they probably won't get to. But the um, uh, in the last just 48 hours, I, I seem to get a sense that people are saying that the, there's no deal in the offing, nothing happened in the negotiations so far, although it was never anticipated, at least by the pundits, that anything would happen until the last minute. I think people do not, these candidates, know that they're going to face the wrath of the voters, especially Lieberman, and I think they do not want to go through a third election if they can avoid it. The question is, can they avoid it? I fell for it. Uh, when I saw the Gantz and Netanyahu meeting this week, I thought there was some hope. 
Looked like the two of them got along pretty well. There's always hope. There may not be a chance, but there's always hope. Yeah, I guess. Uh, you would just hope they would make some progress. Do you, do you think this is going to lead to any type of election? You know, even Bush Gore had a had a way to you know to get to the finish line. There was a system that was in place to get to get somebody to get to the White House. Do you think that there's going to be some type of reform in Israel that will have? I don't know. It, it could be a judicial decision or you know some other type of system to to conclude these elections with some type of real conclusion. Well, if you remember, Israel tried a few years ago direct election of the prime minister right. and then abandoned it. There have been a lot of proposals about raising the threshold, lowering the thresholds, trying to make it more efficient and more the system more efficient. Uh, but it's very complicated because there's so many vested interests. And, um, you know, when you have the multiple parties to be able to get a majority in, in favor of some sort of electoral reform, there's there are a lot of people calling for it. I don't know that anything can really materialize but um but i think that the voters uh, like everywhere want accountability that they want the leaders to to be responsive you don't see anger in the streets you're not seeing demonstrations of you know massive numbers uh, of people but you do get a sense of their unhappiness with this situation and the uncertainty that now for all these months they they don't know what the final outcome will be, and that affects, because government ministries don't get filled, other positions don't get filled. Uh, the foreign ministry was on strike this week, which is very oh, sad, right. I think that the, I hope the next prime minister or the current prime minister will take steps to, to rehabilitate the foreign ministry. They've decimated it, and it's really regrettable. Is that over with now, or they're still on strike? No, they're going to be on strike and off strike and on strike. Um, you know, there are all sorts of... of um, I think misrepresentations. There are a lot of qualified people, really good people in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Their diplomats around the world are limited, have no budget to undertake events, to travel even to parts of their own districts, uh, the areas they represent. I mean, that's not the way that uh, diplomacy is still critical in this era, and uh, um, their work in, in so many areas, and whether it's humanitarian aid, whether it's uh, diplomacy, whether it's uh, UN, all of those things are impacted by it. And when they have no budget and they can't go to campuses, they can't go to other places because they don't have the travel budget, it it. it it diminishes their ability to do the fundamental work of a, of a consulate. And this, I, I didn't even realize how many practical aspects there are. There are people who really need, you know, uh, uh, forms and decisions and, uh, and the bodies that they want to bring to Israel. Right. People want students who have to go. Uh, there are people who are sick or need, may need the papers. There are uh, uh, practical. Uh, dimensions and think about the fact that foreign leaders can't visit when you don't have the foreign ministry to support and do the groundwork on it or or arranging visits and I, I know one delegation that was supposed to go but now is reconsidering if the strike goes too long. Your phone's probably been ringing, ringing all week with all these different uh, situations people are in. Yes, and and the truth is that you know if the consulate's closed, it's closed. I speak to them, but uh, on their cell phones. But uh, yes, so you, people you have a many. There are many practical, as you said, aspects yeah. beyond the normal function. So you, diplomatic function. so you can't rubber stamp anything. Uh, I didn't say I can't. <laughs> <laughs> now, now you're now you're in trouble. I was I was leading you down the road that your phone's going to stop ringing. Now no, you're you said rubber stamp. I didn't say it could affect anything. It just gonna, I have a rubber stamp and I can use it for anything. But <laughs> finally, Malcolm, your reaction. When some smart aleck stands up at a presentation of a Holocaust survivor and insists that they acknowledge the pain of the Palestinians who were victims, quote-unquote, of the Intifada. 
Well, it's probably the ultimate chutzpah, and the um, to, to the fact is that survivors are amongst the most outspoken people about the suffering of others. And I, I, they didn't stand up and say we have to talk about the suffering of the Kurds or the Yazidis or the any of the other people who are Christians who are being uh, eliminated and, and being attacked all across the Middle East in, in this by the thousands every year and being killed by the thousands every year. It's not a sincere um, concern. It's a it's a political ploy and telling a Holocaust survivor, knowing what they went through and lecturing them about it by their very lives, they demonstrate that commitment and and the inspiration, and I think it's it's um, it's community responsibility to hold them to account for for that kind of behavior. But you know that when people get propagandized, it's it's again not based on knowledge. It's not based on often on reasonable positions, and it shows their ignorance about who really is responsible for the Palestinian suffering. Yep. It's not Israel, yep. and it's time that they know. You know, they talk about God's occupation this week. Some of these candidates, they, do they not know there's not a single soldier there? Do they know that 800 trucks a day go into Gaza? Do they know all all the assistance that and the electricity, the gas, etc., that that is provided? Do they know what the uh, Hamas regime is doing and the and and how they manipulate their people, the, the kids, and put them in harm's way? Who's responsible? And that's that's the sad part is that young people, even young Jews, are are manipulated and and uh, led astray by these propagandists and by the internet and by and, and by the way we find more and more how they're all of these messages on the internet often the reaction to you know stars that visit prominent personalities and they get these negative feedbacks it's really being manufactured groups like the students for justice in palestine and others uh have been reported to be behind many of these initiatives well said. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We will speak again next week. Oh, and tomorrow, tomorrow's Balfour Day. Not a bad idea for people to mention it in shul and at their Shabbos table. Talk about it and, and what the significance was of it. I'm, I can assure you that 99.9% don't know, but you can Google it and get the information on yeah, it. Print it out before Shabbos. Thank you, Malcolm. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays. For the weekly update here at JM and the AM, Erev Shabbos Parshas Noach, candlelighting time at 5.32 here in New York. We'll change the clock tomorrow night. We'll be back to a seven-hour difference between the Eastern Time Zone and the uh, State of Israel. Be back to a seven-hour difference. Tuesday is Election Day. Do what you need to do to vote on Tuesday. Mazel Tov to Binyamin and Nechama Wach. A brand new baby boy. The Brits was yesterday. The boy's name is Yehuda. To the Shaykhid and Wach families, we say Mazal Tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, Rabbi Emeritus, Congregation Shomrei Torah, Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Noach. With Parshas Noach, we progress to the second thousand years of civilization. We go from Adam, from Noach to Avraham. Last week we did Adam to Noach. This week we are focusing from Noach to Avraham. And clearly... What you have in the parsha is the first half of the parsha deals with 
the destruction of mankind, namely the Mabul, the flood, which is brought about upon man and the animals because Hishchis called Darko, because there was corruption and there was violence, aggression, man to man, and that world had to be destroyed. And we read on in the parsha of the Dor HaFlaga, the generation that came after the flood that attempted to build the tower and the generation that was dispersed. The rabbis tell us that the reason why God tolerated the second uh, generation of the dispersion is because they got along and there was harmony man with man. When there's a breakdown of man, there has to be destroyed. When he's able to live, but unfortunately with improper values, then we need to disperse them. I'd like to focus this morning on the Migdal Bavel, on the Tower of Bavel. Just to give you a drop of background, the Torah tells us in very cryptic language that the entire earth was Sofa Achas, one language, Udvarim Achodim, and of common purpose. Now this in of itself is neutral. However, Rashi tells us already that this common purpose that they had was one whereby they are joining together to rebel against God. And what is their intent? Their intent is now that they have become an industrial society, now that they have discovered technology. The Torah says in verse 3 of chapter 11, what have they done? They have learned to make bricks, burn them in fire, and the bricks serve them as stone, and the bitumen serve them as mortar. The idea is that whereas prior to this their houses were rather uh, low to the ground, now man was able to build up and up and up. And their intent was, stop laughing, literally to go to the sky. And what did they want to do? Number one, the magic number was 1656. They said, look here, the Mabul, the flood came 1656 years after creation. So we are going to prevent that in another 1656 years there shouldn't be a quake of the heavens and that all the waters will once again come down and cause a flood. So we are first of all going to build the tower up to the heavens and there we're going to literally put brackets to fortify the heavens that the rains should never be able to come down again 
in such a way that there would be a flood. And by the way, once we're there, what are we going to do? Says Rashi, Naase imo milchama, we will wage war against God. So the first thing that I'd like to suggest is that what we have here in the situation of the building of the tower is similar to what we find at the end of the Torah in the 18th verse of the Shira of Ha'azinu, whereby Moshe proclaims Tzur Yoladcha Teshi Vatishkach Keil Mucholelecha. Moshe accuses the Jewish people of ignoring the rock who gave birth to you and forgetting God who brought you forth into this world. The Dubna Magid has a very famous Moshal parable that he cites on this verse. He says that Reuven owed Shimon money and Shimon was pressing him for the money. Ruve then goes to Levi and says, Levi, help me out. What could I do? I don't have the money to pay Shimon back. Says Levi, the next time that Ruve, that Shimon comes to you asking for the money, feign, pretend that you are Meshuggah. Start singing, dancing, do all kinds of silly things and Shimon will say to himself, Ayay, what can I do? I've lost it. And sure enough, it worked. A short time later, Reuven goes to Levi and borrows some money from Levi. When Levi comes to ask Reuven for the money, Reuven tries the same tactic on him, starts to act somewhat crazy. At which point, Levi takes his stick hits Ruvain over the head and said, Shota, you fool, I'm the one who taught you this trick, and now you're using this trick against me? Says the Dubna Magid, God gave man a blessing by giving man the ability to forget. If man did not forget past tragedies and negative experiences, he'd never be able to pull himself up and go forward and rebuild and have a whole new life ahead of him. So the ability to forget is nothing less than a divine blessing. But continues the Dubna Magid, Moshe was saying to the Jewish people, Hashem gave you a blessing of forgetfulness and what do you do? You use that blessing to forget Hashem. Now watch, what we have in Parshas Noach is an advanced technological society. Now, society which has technology could say on the one hand, Wow, thank you Hashem, because after all, you are the one, as it says in Parshas Ekev, Hanosein koach you are the one that it is He, Hashem, who gives you the strength to make wealth, to be successful. And the Targum Unculus on that verse says, He is the one 
Yoyevlach, who gives you Eitzah Limiknei Nichsen. He gives you the ideas in order to, be it, purchase certain stocks, or puts the idea in your head that you now become creative. Man's ability, all his technological ability, where does it come from? You, God, give man intelligence. But rather than take this technology and say thank you to Hashem, and use the technology in developing a greater, closer relationship between man and Hashem, unfortunately, what does man do? Man uses this technology to nothing less than rebel against Hashem. Because just as we find with the people that were building the tower, what do they say? Let us make a name for ourselves. What's going on with this smartphone of this concept of a selfie of my picture, this concept of showing everybody who you are, and this idea of self-valuation, looking for identity. But this is, unfortunately, the wrong way to accomplish. So we are literally, I believe today, in our technological era, most advanced. We've never had this before. We have a very serious problem on our hands, very similar to what they encountered and what society encountered with Migdal Bavel. It's not history only that we're going to read about the Shabbos, but we're reading about our own civilization, its current events in a very literal sense. People are walking around with their heads down. There's such a total waste of time. And not only is it a simple waste of time, but much too often there is the inappropriate material which is found on your uh, computer on the phone, and which unfortunately is um, bringing man down as opposed to elevating him to the great potential that he possesses. Stop for a moment. Ask yourself, how is it that we are so smart, that we have all this great technological advancements, and our grandfathers, what did they know? Were they so God forbid, stupid? And the answer is definitively not. One suggestion of the Chafetz Chaim in his day already, when the photograph, the phonograph, when this came into being, he was saying, you know what's going on? And he only was telling us all the more about what's going on today, that this advancement in technology is a fulfillment. Because as the Ramban says, the six days of creation are really six millennium. And the Torah tells us that God created a word, a world, a Shebarot, Elohim, that God created, what's the next word? La'asos. La'asos means that God created a world with which man is to do. Man is to complete creation. And therefore, the many, many, quote, checklists 
on God's checklist which has to be accomplished, be it medical advances that are incredible with one's watch or with one's phone. You can monitor your blood pressure and one can pick up heart irregularities, which is a wonderful thing. But at the same time, unfortunately, this advanced technology can be used in a very negative way. And therefore, I'd like to make just one or two practical suggestions. Number one, I'm speaking now, first of all, to gentlemen. When you go to shul during the week, turn it off. Turn the phone off. Don't put it on vibrate. When you put it on vibrate, you're right. You're not disturbing anybody else. But when you're in the middle of davening and you feel that vibration, a mensch is nor a mensch, you will start thinking to yourself, who might that be? Who didn't I call? Who might be calling me? And you are completely at that time distracted from your davening. Davening in of itself is so hard. And now you've made it much more challenging to get back to where you are, your concentration etc., etc. Turn it off when you walk into the base Knesset. Turn it off completely until you walk out. Second of all, I'm going to suggest that one night during the week, one night a week at supper time, all the children should turn their phones off, that there should actually be conversation between parents and children, that there should actually be interaction between the siblings. That's right, something that unfortunately is becoming less and less, which has its very negative effects upon the uh, family unit itself. When we're going for a ride in the car, it shouldn't be, okay, what are the kids going to play with in their hands, etc., but it's an opportunity to engage them in conversation, to engage them in all kinds of uh, discussion, and to teach them different things, etc. We've lost that arc because they are so completely distracted. Our rabbis tell us that Avram Avinu could not come on the scene because his teachings could not be accepted because they were all involved in just one thing, technology. Now that they were dispersed, they could have at least an open mind to listen. We have to break through and each person has to find a way. Before you can solve a problem, one has has to acknowledge that there is a problem. And therefore, I urge everyone to follow the Kriyas HaTorah very carefully, to understand and realize that this is current events, that Migdal Bovel is happening right before our eyes. And I pray that if one wishes to overcome the challenge of the day that we have, which is so difficult, the first step begins by a person having to acknowledge that there is a problem. And once he, she, they, parents, not only in terms of filtering, not only in terms of monitoring, but just understand that this is so time and all-consuming that if we are to allow Avram Avinu into our lives, we have to invite him by making time for him, giving him the space that he needs, and truly welcoming him 
into an open environment and not the one that we have at the moment. Hatzlacha Rabbah, Shabbat Shalom to all. Friday morning broadcast, JM in the AM. I thanks to Rabbi Yudin, of course. As we continue here on a Friday era of Shabbos. Well, many of you are aware of the fact that this coming Sunday is a New York City marathon. And for years and years and years, we have been uh, reminding this audience, this worldwide audience, that before the marathon begins, there is a um, New York City marathon minion that takes place right there on the site of the uh, starting line of the uh, New York City Marathon. And while, especially these days, one might think anybody who needs that minion probably knows about it, right? They've probably been contacted or they're aware through social media and other sources that it exists. So why would we, on the eve of the uh, race, on the Friday morning before the New York City Marathon, insist on discussing the Marathon Minion? Well, one, of course, is the practical matter if someone needs the information if there's a runner out there that wants to join the minion but the second reason is because uh, peter burkowski who is with us live via telephone has spent three and a half decades reminding the world and the athletes and the organizers that before you embark on this international major event the priority is first to Davin. The priority is first to take care of Shacharis. And the early days, I'm sure, was not easy reminding everybody about Shacharis before the race, especially as people gather at 4 or 5 in the morning and need to set aside a time slot in order to take care of their morning prayers. And now, of course, it has expanded to the point where a lot of people out there are aware of what's going on and are actively involved with what's going on. Peter Burkowski, welcome back to JM in the AM. Good morning, Nachum. Has it really been a year already? <laughs> Believe it or not. You were there when it was not so simple. You were there when it was an idea that was turning into uh, turning into action, into an event. Right. And uh, you, and it's and still you, not easy. And you, it's uh, it's I'm, like I'm, two months of I'm, preparation. I'm sure it's not easy, but you were there when... It was first decided that you would tell the world that uh, as important as the New York City Marathon is, and we know how big and important an international event it is at this point, uh, making sure that Davin Shacharis with a minion comes first, then you go and you race in the race. So I, I salute you for that, and I thank, thank you. you. I thank you for that important message, both for our community and for the entire world. How's it going to work? When does this race actually begin, and when will the Minyanim be taking place? Okay, well, this is our 36th year, which is a rather significant milestone. Yep. And uh, we are, as I like to say, the longest established religious service of any kind at any sporting event anywhere in the world. Uh, and the New York Roadrunners, who run the uh, marathon, are very proud of our association with them. We are, after all, one of the features that makes the New York City Marathon so unique. Right. They provide us with a spacious 600-square-foot tent so we can daven in comfort and semi-privacy amidst 53,000 anxious runners who are milling around at Fort Wadsworth. Uh, one thing different this year. Tonight is the 25th yard site of Fred Lebo. 
Mm-hmm. Now, you and I know who Fred was. Sure. But many younger runners, and especially the foreigners who will be at our Minion Sunday, have no idea who he was. So we decided to dedicate this year's Minion to Fred's mem- memory. Wow. Fred was from a family of Holocaust refugees from Transylvania. His entire family survived. He was only 13 when, when the war ended. After they immigrated to the United States, he worked first in the garment district and as a tennis pro. And then he rode that wave of long-distance running that was sweeping the country in the 1960s. He became the first president of the New York Roadrunners Club. He's the one who got the Lindsay administration to close Central Park to vehicular traffic on weekends. Uh, He created the New York City Marathon in 1970. At that time, it was just four loops around Central Park. Right. Uh, Six years later, as sort of a bicentennial gift to the nation, he redesigned the marathon to pass through all five boroughs. That's what we have today. When we started our Minion in 1983, out in the open on the parade ground at Fort Wadsworth, Fred was very supportive. And we were only two years old when we had the chutzpah to ask him to switch the date of the 1986 (laughs) marathon from its traditional late October into early November to avoid a conflict that year with Simchas Torah. He agreed. And that's where the event has stayed, thus avoiding a conflict with Jewish holidays for all time. And when he learned that that first Sunday in November 1986 would be Rosh Chodesh, he insisted we daven in a tent to protect our Sefer Torah from the elements. And in the first 36 years, the marathon has four times been run on Rosh Chodesh. Fred used to come by each year to wish us well. In 1990, when he was diagnosed with a brain tumor, he still came by. And we interrupted our service to offer a Misha Berich for his well-being. It was, it was quite an emotional scene. Two years later, he was in remission. He decided to run in his marathon, joined by his old friend Greta Waits of Norway. And even though the media was all over that story, he somehow broke away from reporters at Fort Wadsworth that morning to visit our minion. And this time, he asked if he could lay fill in with us. Wow. And there was not a dry eye among us. Fred lost his battle with cancer in 1994. Thousands of runners have participated in our minion over the past 36 years. We've become an institution at this world-famous race, and we owe it all to Fred, who was very proud of our project. And we're, we're determined to keep his name alive. You know, it's funny. Among I, all who I, can't, at, uh, I, can't, one of a kind service. I can't believe it's 25 years, number one. And number two, he also created a tremendous Kiddush Hashem because he was a beloved figure. The mayors loved him. All the public Absolutely. officials loved him. Uh, he was a beloved Nahum, figure in New York. I would say York. that uh, he probably ranks among the top 100 personalities of New York City of the 20th century. Isn't there a statue of him somewhere? There is in Central Park. Near Unbelievable. The Unbelievable. The ultimate... There uh, there are four Jewish-related charity teams registered at this year's New York City Marathon. I just just want to mention who they are. The Blue Card, Sharsheret, Friendship Circle International, and the American Committee for Sharet Sedek Medical Center in Jerusalem. We invite all of them, of course, to um, come by and and daven with us. Uh, And so as not to show favoritism, the money we raise this year in our Pushka will go to High Lifeline Camp Simcha. Hmm, very nice. All right. Um, how does the Minion work for those who are racing on Sunday? Uh, the, the first Minion will be at 7 a.m. Our tent is on Drum Road, which is uh, just a couple of blocks inside the main gate. 
Um, first minions at seven o'clock. Um, I have the yard site um, Sunday morning, so I'll I'll grab the Ahmed for the first minion, and after that we'll have rolling minions. As soon as one is over, we'll start another one. And that continues until the starting uh, until the starting. Uh, well, the, the, there's so many runners. There's fifty three thousand runners this wow. year, so um, they start in different waves. So we have continuous minionum to accommodate the runners assigned to the different waves. And we encourage everyone to join a minion that uh, the, the service will take about a half hour. Uh, they should join a minion to, uh, so that they will have at least 45 minutes when the davening ends to get to their starting corral. And you, uh, unlike, unlike other years, you are encouraging people not to bring their own talus and tefillin. That's correct. For the last few years, we supply and we have an adequate supply of fill-in, um, sidurim, kipot. Some people come without a hat. We we have everything they need. Um, they don't have to bring their own fill-in anymore. All right, boy, oh boy, amazing how you've gotten to this point, Peter. Really incredible. Everybody out there is running in the race. We wish you the best of luck, but don't forget, as Peter Burkowski and his. Uh, and his colleagues have been declaring for the last three and a half decades, Shachris before the race. And he's been telling this to the entire world, and it has made quite an impact on the New York City Marathon and really on uh, major sporting events around the world, as many people have been focusing on the fact that the Jewish community or representatives of the Jewish community will be in the makeshift shul, in the tent, <laughs> before the race actually begins. Peter, I thanks, thank Adam. you, and good luck to everybody, and thanks so much for joining us again. Thanks, and have a good job. Peter, good job. is Peter Burkowski, New York City Marathon Minion, Sunday, before the big race. Pretty amazing. More coming up. You're listening to a uh, Friday morning, Erev Shabbos edition of JM in the AM.
We have an amazing lineup today, including after uh, Naomi uh, at her encore of Table for Two. The Erev Shabbos Show with Mark Zamek, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem, is special for New York City marathon runners. Uh, when you hear today's Erev Shabbos Show between 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. Eastern Time, it will get you in the mood to run. You'll think, wow, did Mark put together some workout mixes and, and, and make them this week's Erev Shabbos Parsha's Noach Show? I'm telling you, an amazing program. It's coming up, uh, and you'll hear it between 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. Harry uh, Rothenberg in the video blog for Parsha's Noach at 1 o'clock. Uh, Erev Shabbos music mix with our friends at Kedem all through the day. Uh, till candle lighting tomorrow night at Saturday Night Seagull with Avrami and Rabbi Eliezer's Wickler. Sunday, it is uh, JM Sunday with Matis beginning at 7 a.m. Eastern time right here at JM and the AM. Time to say good Shabbos. It's Journeys at JM and the AM.
songs of Shabbos well into the night. So throw away your hammer, there's nothing left to do. Sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio, around the world on the web, and NachumSingle.com and the NachumSingle Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Wraps up an amazing week here at JM and the AM. Thanks so much for tuning in. Candle lighting in New York, 532. Change the clock tomorrow night. It'll be a seven-hour difference again between the Eastern Time Zone and the State of Israel. Uh, Tuesday is Election Day. We'll talk more about that next week. And, of course, I'll see you Sunday night at the JCT Dinner. If you don't have your tickets yet for Lincoln Square Synagogue Sunday night for the Jerusalem College of Technology, it's jctgala.com, jctgala.com. And I look forward to seeing everybody there on uh, on Sunday night. That's Sunday night, Lincoln Square Synagogue. Have a fabulous Shabbos, a wonderful weekend. Don't forget, tomorrow is Balfour Day. Tell your children and grandchildren why tomorrow... Is such a significant day in modern Jewish history. Till Monday, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.